Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dave Leniger, and today we will continue to explore the world of franchising. In my decades of experience, I've found a great amount of success and have run into several roadblocks in franchising. Don't make the same mistakes that I made. When you look at the franchising industry, there's an invalid that's thrown about that's, that's not specifically true. It's then if you buy a already successful franchise. In the United States, there are 1,400 franchisors that belong to the International Franchise Association. And depending on the size you're, you pay a few hundred dollars to a few thousand to be part of the group. And you share conventions, technology, training sessions, professional designations. There are 4,000 franchisors in the United States. Every year, 400 new franchisors come out. The failure rate of the new franchisors is astronomical. They have two, five, ten units, and they think, I've got it. They don't have the scalability. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the experience. They don't have the connections. And they don't have the marketing team. How in the world do you start a hamburger stand and say, I'm the next McDonald's, when you're already competing with McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's and Carl's Jr. and other established brands that are on television throughout the day bringing customers to their franchisees. It's a really, really tough thing. So deciding to franchise after you've got some prototypes that work is incredibly important. The cost to do so for most brands, especially food service, is going to be just to become a franchisor is going to be hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to come up with the legal documents called the franchise disclosure documents, to come up with the franchise agreement, to come up with state filings in 13 to 15 states that have their own filing restrictions, costs a hundred dollars to $200,000 of a real franchisor attorney. You go to your local attorney that does wills and divorces, they have no idea. They're going to go to a book from college and they're going to try to build you a franchise agreement. You are getting screwed. They have no idea what they're doing. If you're going to run a franchise business, get a franchise or attorney. If you're going to run, uh, you need a will or an estate plan, depending on your wealth. Do not just go to your local attorney. He can do a simple will if you have no money and no estate. But if you are wealthy, you must go to an estate tax attorney. Period. So as you start to look at this scaling up, a successful franchisor is going to evolve into those five factors. That means when you start offering your franchise, do you have a learning management system? And does that learning system is a video, is it audio, is it in writing? And is once you've made it, it's what you can replicate it. What's it cost to build a system for say, uh, I got a great daddy's chicken shack sandwich and I've got French fries and I've got this and I've got that and so on. And I need a training program that I can take somebody in food service and say, this is how we do it here. And train a manager of this is how we run it. And train shift managers, this is how we do it. 100 to 150,000 minimum. And if you're going to have technology, technology is very expensive. It's cheap per outlet. But if you're building a technology platform that's going to help 100 to 500 units, you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
cost per franchisee, maybe it averages out to $2,000 a franchise. But if your franchisor starts and has this system and doesn't sell any franchises, they lost their $200,000. So the dirty secret of franchising is there's like 10 of us in the top 10 in the United States. Remax is one of them. We're fortunate I started it from scratch. I had no franchise regulations when I started. This has all happened in the last 50 years. I got in cheap. Nobody gets in cheap today because it's a much more uh, sophisticated business. So if you have a franchisable idea, you can take it two or three places. You can try to go to venture capital or private equity and say, I've got this great idea. And the smaller you are and the more money it's going to take, the smaller the amount of the cop of the stock they're going to let you keep because nobody's going to give you 500,000 or a million dollars for a company that doesn't make any money. And if it doesn't work, they write off the entire amount. Venture capitalists, they try to big, hit big on two out of 10 deals and they plan on losing on eight out of 10 deals. And so they just bake into the price. We don't think you're going to make it, but if you do, Maybe with the next Facebook, maybe with the next Amazon or whatever it might be. So they go for the home run and therefore they take almost all the stock and you end up with nothing. The bigger you are, the less you have to give up to expand your company. Venture capitalists and hedge funds are about the same. The second thing you can do is if you have a really good idea, you can approach funds that invest and own only Franchisors. And so there are franchises, there's companies out there that have 25 or 30 diverse brands that have not gone public. They are strictly a private entity worth billions and billions of dollars. And they will take a new concept because they already know how to run 15, 20, 30 franchise businesses. And they'll be more likely to say, that's a good idea. You've got your prototype. You've been in business five years. We know how to scale it. And they might be your advantage. And the third way is the way everybody tries to do it. And it's Nick won't dime it. Friends and family. I got a great idea. I talked to my attorney. If I could raise a million dollars, maybe I could franchise this thing. I'm willing to sell 20% of my future company for a million dollars in cash divided up by a whole bunch of people that will give me ten to $25,000 a piece. Uh, Remax took advantage of private equity. We borrowed tens of millions of dollars from a private equity company. It was a seven-year deal. At year five, we thought the market was correct. We went public. We paid them back. And we were then a public entity. They invested tens of millions. They got back all their money, plus interest, plus $100 million in profit. I never regretted it. I needed the money. With that money, we expanded dramatically. It made the rest of the company far more valuable. And I and my shareholders were the beneficiaries of it. So there's all kinds of ways to skin a cat. And that's a college course that could take a semester and hundreds of hours of study. So let's talk first about being a franchisee and a franchisor. The franchisor is giving you the business in a box. They've experimented. They've made mistakes. They know 
do not try this, not try this. We tried that already. Do this. This is our model. This model works. And so there's a tremendous advantage of being a franchisee to that company. Most franchisors are not really successful. The more established the franchise it is, the franchisor, the more expensive the product's going to be, and the more expensive the royalty and the advertising is going to be. You're buying into a success system that somebody spent 40, 50, 60 years building, and so you harvest enormous benefits. The problem you get into as a franchisee is it's the next new great idea, and everybody wants the next new great idea and understand that if you buy the next new great idea, you're going to be one out of nine out of 10 or 95 out of 100 that jump into it and fail because the idea fails because the franchisor was not capitalized enough and not been around long enough and not been through different markets, hadn't planned and understood how difficult it's going to be and what the cost would be. And so if you're buying into an emerging franchisor, you better really, really, really believe in the owner of the franchisor. And we're a, kind of a silk tooth devil out there trying to get people to give us our money so that we can make our dream come true. And so skepticism, talking to the existing franchisees. And are you talking to franchisees who have been in business for 90 or 180 days? Are you talking to franchisees who have been in business for 10 years? Because 90 and 180 days still don't know what the hell they're doing. And they're still in the romance phase of, Oh, I just got married. I love my husband. I love my wife. They've been married two or three years and say, he doesn't pick his socks up off of the floor. He hasn't helped with the kids at all. And, you know, God, what a lousy marriage. And so the advice is you're a riverboat gambler <laughs> and you want to go with the new Zor, you're taking your chance. So I'll give you an example. Daddy's Chicken Shack. I sold 16 regions, a million population each for hundreds of thousands of dollars in a period of three months without a prototype or a restaurant open. Because my credentials were, Remax had 9,000 franchises. I'd been in business for 50 years. Model Mortgage, which Remax owns, has 400 franchises sold. And I've advised five different franchisors into successful franchisor positions. I am a proven commodity. My credit is good. My reputation is good. And my name is good. The first step is to understand the franchisee and the franchisor relationship is wonderful. And it is often adversarial. So the franchisor wants to sell at an expensive price, a very small or no territory. The franchisee is walking up to the buffet and his big eyes and says, I want this and I want that and I want this and I want that. So I'm going to buy the entire city of Chicago and open 90 franchises there. And the franchisor is not stupid, says, it's going to cost you 100000 franchise. And even if you make your first one successful in a year, I can't let Chicago sit there and not sell another franchise this year until you could buy the second one a year from now. So... You're always going to be adversarial as to the size of the territory. The second thing is the franchise or wants a big advertising fee. We know the value of advertising. The franchisee 
wants the smallest advertising fee they can get because, well, I'm broke and I'm just trying to get started. I'm sorry, if you can't advertise your product, you're going to go broke. We have to have 10% of the gross to be able to generate the income of driving people into your door. The third thing you get into uh, conflict with is don't open any more franchises near me because I'm the only one that will take my business away. Well, if you're in Denver, Colorado, uh, and I've got a daddy's chicken shack in Denver, Castle Rock is 25 miles away. People don't drive 25 miles to get fast casual. You can't drive 25 miles to the lunch hour. And so the franchisor has got to be honest, have the integrity to say, this is the number of units we're going to sell. When we get to those number of units, we will reevaluate. If we can saturate more, we will saturate more. If we have reached our saturation point, I'd rather have 40 units all making a profit than 80 units and all going broke. Not every franchisor has that attitude. And so it comes down to, do you trust the integrity of the Zor? And in my case, with new franchises, I'm able to say, hey, here's 4,000 people in the Remax system that know me personally, and you can call them. Nobody has the territory, but you can find out Are we fair in how we open our additional offices? And do we stop opening offices? Denver, we haven't sold a franchise in 20 years. We've got dozens of successful franchises. Every franchise has agents. Every agent says, I'd like to buy my own office. I can manage it better than my broker. And I'm paying him all these fees. I could take 10 of the agents and they could start with me because we're good friends and I could have a franchise. You screw the first franchise person that you sold to. They've been paying your living for 30 years. So what is the integrity of the system? Is the integrity, yes, we must have market share. We must have brand. We must have advertising. But how much is the appropriate amount? And it's a judgment call. And how do we meet with our franchisees so that they understand We're partners in this. We're partners in our success. We're partners in our failure. You have to figure this out when you're looking at buying a franchise. As your abilities and your financial capacity grows, your opportunities grow. In any franchise network, there are going to be four quadros of performance. You're going to have the very best and you're going to have the very worst. Divide them in fourths and you can look at the average volume of business they do. I'll give you a theoretical company, say it's a sub-sandwich business. Your top quarrel might be $1.2 million in sales. Your bottom is 400000 in sales. Lots of different factors. Location, neighborhood, traffic, exposure, etc. So the question becomes is, which quattro will you become? If you're ambitious, you're hardworking, you listen, you pay attention, you imitate the most successful You become a viable entity to your franchisor. Guess what happens? You get the opportunities. They want to open another franchise. They're not offering it to Ding Ding down here that's not doing a very good job. They're going to take their most successful franchisor. They know how to do it. They've got the financing. They've figured it out. They want to grow. And they're going to say, our next opportunity is here. I'm offering it to you, not to somebody outside the company. I'm not offering it to the people 
in the company that aren't following the system anyway, this is your advantage. The second thing is we put the people on the bottom control into an improvement program. You're letting us down. You're doing 400,000, three miles away, he's doing 1.2 million. You're using the system. You're making a living and you're making enough money to pay yourself a salary, but you're not contributing. Your quality control sucks. Your uh, scalability is gone. You're not advertising like the rest of us. You're a drag on us. You're using us and staying in business. Here's our deal. You're not meeting our minimums. So we're going to help you fix those minimums. And we will come in, do an analysis for your company. And this is your six or three month, six month and 12 month program. These are your yardsticks. These are what you need to change. This is your hiring practices, your quality control. This is your product flavor. This is your standing in the company. If you do not make a step-by-step improvement with us trying to help you with your business, we're going to take away your franchise. We are not going to make our franchise come to the lowest level. We're making our franchisees come to the highest level. One of the most important aspects of franchising is understanding the franchisor has made a ton of mistakes to get where they're at. And they acknowledge the mistakes. Really, really smart franchisors will swallow their pride and make changes. I can't make an overnight change at Remax with 9,000 offices in 110 countries. You cannot move an ocean ship this size and turn on a dime. That's for small units. They can change everything overnight. You can't do it if you're the giant of the industry. So the average hire group of the franchisor has to be open to constant change, improvements. And so you need to encourage the franchisees to say, if you have a better idea, come tell us. If we like it, we'll go heart and soul with you. If we don't, we'll probably turn down nine out of 10 ideas right off the bat. We'll listen patiently. But I think if you hear us, We'll say, we tried that. We tried this. That didn't work. No, stick with the knitting. But you do hit home runs. Every great idea in Remax's history came from the field. Not a single idea came from me and the Ivory Tower group. We live in the field. We visit day in, day out with all of our Zs throughout the world, period. Great ideas happen at McDonald's. A perfect example is the breakfast sandwich and they are, I can't remember the city, you can Google it. It's fascinating look at uh, McDonald inventions or innovations. The innovations all came from the field. Somebody had road construction in front of their McDonald's for almost nine months. And uh, their traffic for lunch went down significantly because they couldn't get through the road repairs and the traffic at dinner was just as bad. Every morning at 8 or 8.30, here's a ton of construction workers that are working less than 100 yards away are banging on the door stating, I'm hungry. Can I get a cup of coffee? Can I have a donut? Can I have a sandwich? And the owner violated the rules. And he said, look at all these people that are standing in line because they start to work at 6 and they're hungry. And they came up with the egg McMuffin, and then the sausage McMuffin, and sales skyrocketed. And all of a sudden, 
People found out they were open at 8, and the contract says you can't open till 11, and you can't have breakfast. And the inspectors from headquarters came through, and they're marveling at, look at the crowds here. And they're saying, you can't do this. You can't open until 10 or until 11, and we haven't approved the sandwich. And the franchisee said, I'm going broke. The road construction, I am going broke. You're a rich company. I'm going broke. Look, it worked. Not only that, it's not construction workers now. It's high school and college students going to college at 7 in the morning that says, I need a sandwich. I need a cup of coffee. It's business people on the way, and they're driving downtown, and they stop in and say, I need a sandwich because I didn't have time to have breakfast. They studied it, and they said, oh, my God. What an idea. They implemented in every franchise they've got. And it changed them from a two-meal-a-day company to a three-meal-a-day company. A great franchisor is going to hold hard line and say, we'll listen and we'll listen, but don't vary a really smart franchisee who has the heart and soul of the franchisor because we are partners in our business. We'll say, boss, you're out of touch with reality and I'm not afraid to tell you. I have to have a fish filet sandwich. And this is why, and this is what I'm experimenting with, and this is my success. If it's not a success, McDonald's will shut it down and say, that didn't work. If it's a success, McDonald's will take the credit and say, thanks, Joe, you've helped us build our business. Everybody in the company owes you.